I do ask myself two questions every day. The first question is, do I feel connected to people that I care about? And the second one is, am I doing the best that I can do on behalf of my community? We are so excited to have this conversation with our CEO, who we all know and love, Bethany Coates. I'm Sophia. I'm a talent recruiter here at Breakline and the co-host of our brand new podcast, The Breakline Arena. So, without further ado, Kenny, let's do it. Folks, how are we doing out there this evening? My name is Kenny Vaughn. I'm the director of Breakline Apex. I'm excited about tonight because in the midst of what has been some chaos, folks, I mean, this past few months, I think collectively we can all say have been a challenge. I mean, sometimes it feels like the world is just on fire. But what I will tell you is that it is moments like this that give me gratitude for the Breakline community. And I think that is what makes this evening so special is because we are getting ready to get a chance to peel back the curtain. We get a chance to take it all the way back to the beginning and we are getting ready to have a great conversation with a lady who I trust, respect and admire. And that is our CEO and founder, Miss Bethany Coates. So without further ado, we're going to dive right in because we got a lot of ground to cover. Bethany, how are you? I am so good, Kenny. And I have to just say, this is the best feeling. Um, right before we opened this up, Kenny said, we're having a family reunion. And I said, we sure are. And that's how it feels. Um, and Kenny's right. Like, this has been a tough year, capped off by a tough several weeks, several months. And I feel so safe in this space with all of you. And um, it's a wonderful way to feel. And I'm so grateful. And I'm just so excited to see all of you. And I'm ready to go, Kenny. Let's get this thing popping. Well, I'm so glad that you said that because I'm ready to dive right in this thing. And one of the things that I was thinking about, I've been waiting to ask you this question because it's a question that I've often asked myself as I made my own professional transition. So there you are. You spent about 10 years at Stanford and you were the assistant dean of the GSB. You're working with the social impact education globally. And you've got what, what people would typically say is a perfectly good job. You're there, you're taking care of business, you are achieving success. But what was the opportunity that you saw that was compelling enough to leave Stanford, step out, and to create something on your own, which is what you did with Breakline Education. What was it that you saw that just made you make that leap of faith? Well, thank you for the question. And I wanna roll it back a little bit further and actually just set the stage because I've been in the education space for a long time. It's been about 15 years as a professional in the education space. And if you take a step back and look at it, the education system in the US is begging for reform. It's begging for innovation at every level, at every step along the way. When I interviewed Dr. Rice in November, she said, we're at a point where 
I can look at your zip code and know whether or not you've gotten a great education. And, and an additional problem with that is that those gaps that start even at preschool, they follow you around. You become less likely to attend, you become less likely to graduate all the way through to college. The other issue with this is that in the US, education is the biggest predictor of employment. It's the biggest predictor of economic well-being. And so if you miss out on a great education due to the birth lottery, you, we know that you are far, far less likely to be financially secure and to, and to create financial security for your family. So here's one example I wanna share with you all. Years ago, I was at a top university. I was pounding the table for a young Hispanic woman from a low-income family to be admitted. She's absolutely outstanding in STEM. She was a straight-A student. And I went straight to the top and I was advocating for her. And here was the pushback I got. We've never admitted kids from her school district. We just don't know that they have the right preparation to succeed here. So with that one comment, we're talking about eliminating kids from an entire school district, like not even giving them a shot. So that's what I mean about accessibility. That is one key issue that we have to work on together in the United States. The second issue is affordability. And this tends to exacerbate the lack of access. So costs associated with degree programs, I'm sure you all have seen these numbers before. They've risen dramatically. Americans are one and a half trillion dollars in debt because of education, degrees, and loans. And this is the highest form of household debt. The only thing that's higher is mortgage debt. It's an absolute crisis. And the weird thing is that our society, we've just gotten so used to it. We're so used to this model, we forget to question it. We forget to kick the tires. We forget to ask, could there be a better way? And, and the final thing that I'll say about it is on top of lack of accessibility, lack of affordability, there's a lack of accountability. So if you look at the education system in the US, it's so weird what we do. We say, listen, you commit, you as a student commit to giving me $250,000 and I'll let you know two years from now or four years from now, if you're gonna get a return on that investment in the form of a great job, a great salary that you wouldn't have otherwise had access to. I'm sorry, what $250,000 investment have you made with so now. little assurance about Come how that would work? Come on now. So that's the foundation. I, that, that I could tell that there was something deeply wrong here. There was an opportunity here. And then there were personal and professional layers on top of that. So the personal part for me, which many breakliners have heard is that I grew up in a small town in Vermont, 8,000 people. My graduating high school class was 85. It was the kind of place that doesn't necessarily advocate that people go to college. So my, my three closest girlfriends, for example, never finished a semester of college. They couldn't afford it. It was too time consuming. Their families needed them to work. In contrast, I went to Princeton and my siblings and I were the only students from our high school in history to go to Princeton. And I spent the next four years there having a completely life-changing experience. I remember as a senior in high school, kind of looking around my little town, it was like a two stoplight town and I loved it. And at the same time, I felt really claustrophobic. I, I had this kind of question that was constantly in my mind, wait a second, is this it? Like, is this, is this everything that's available to me? And when I got to Princeton, it was as if somebody turned the lights on. It, it was as if suddenly the world was in technicolor and there was so much more than I ever could have imagined being in that, that environment. That's the personal overlay on top of the reality of the education sector in the US. For me, there was also a professional overlay. 
And, and here's, here's how that awakening unfolded. I graduated from Princeton and I went on to earn an MBA from Stanford and I had a raging case of imposter syndrome. And that's part of the reason why we at Breakline talk about imposter syndrome so much because it's like this affliction that, that so many of us feel at various points along the way. So due to imposter syndrome, I made a fear-based decision as I was graduating and I, I joined this enormous you know, herd of my classmates who I liked and respected and looked up to and they were joining uh, a management consulting firm. So I got right on that expectation train. I boarded that train and I was like heading wherever it was going. This time, wow, I was so miserable. Um, I cried every night. I would, I would be like staying in, you know, a really nice hotel in London and just crying. And it was because I had no emotional connection to that work. I really felt so far removed from what I cared about. And so what I decided, I was so miserable. I hit rock bottom as a professional, just in terms of my own engagement. And I remember talking to my husband, Michael, and saying, the only thing I care about with this next step is to be emotionally engaged in that work. And I knew that the education sector was where I wanted to be. I didn't have the idea for Breakline yet, but I decided to go back to Stanford. I took a 50% pay cut and ended up working really closely with some really well-known professors and entrepreneurs, people like Irv Grossbeck, Jim Ellis, Andy Ratcliffe, and Mark Leslie. And I held three roles there. One was curriculum development, a chief of staff role, and then I was leading social impact education. And it was the combination of these roles that helped me sort of start to see the opportunity for Breakline. And I'll share the three insights that I had, and then Kenny, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. Here's the first one. After, after that period, you know, really getting to kick the tires and see the higher education sector from the inside, the first insight was we can create world-class educational experiences anywhere and we can do it anytime. It doesn't have to be on a fancy campus. It, you know, it's, it's something that we can do at the drop of a hat. The second is education doesn't have to be extraordinarily expensive or time-consuming to be life-changing. And then the final piece for me was industry involvement is crucial because for Breakline, the outcome is what we're looking for and the outcome is employment. And we can't do that on our own. We need our partners at the table for that. So as the idea for Breakline started coalescing, I decided to leave Stanford to give it a shot. And I remember as I was leaving Stanford, I had one thought to myself, which was, if this concept, if this new form of education that we call Breakline, if it works for one person, it will be worth the risk for me to leave Kenny, as you said, this kind of very stable job. And Heather Holcomb, who is a former Marine Corps officer, she came through the very first Breakline program. She received multiple offers instantly, as did Kim Benson, Matt Brendel, and Rachel Stockton, all of whom are here today. And they all made it. And so at that point, I knew we were onto something and I jumped and I never looked back. So I have so many, <laughs> I have so many questions because what you just laid out there, first off, is just so impressive. And I think one of the things that even myself just personally assumed was as you see like this great success story unfold, I think sometimes there's assumptions, right? Like, man, this person, she got a chance to go to these top schools and have all these great experiences and you just kind of coast through. But to hear you talk about imposter syndrome and say like, hey, like I've got a chance to go to these world-class institutions and I still have questions. 
about identity, about how I can contribute to the organization. I think that is huge. I've got a dealer's choice question for you here. So you don't have to spend too much time on it, but I really, I wanna, I wanna unpack this just a little bit further before we move on to the next one. As you are there in Vermont and you're amongst your social circle, what was it from your upbringing that gave you the courage to be the one to leave the small town? Or I said dealer's choice, so you get to choose. As you were there at Stanford, you know, a lot of us see these huge macro level issues in the world, but it's something completely different to step out and have the conviction to say, you know what, I'm going to be the person to do that. So those are two pretty critical junctures in your story. And I would love if you could share, was it something in your, in your household as you were growing up? Was it something that you got exposure to a role model? What was it that gave you the courage to say, I'm going to step out of this town. I'm going to go solve that big problem. Yeah. Um, so my, my father had gone to Princeton and so I'm one of seven siblings. My dad was a small town doctor. My mom was stay at home mom. And my dad had gone to Princeton and he had loved it and he would go back for reunions. And so maybe once every five years or something, we would go to the Princeton campus. And that was huge for me because I, I could see it. And I, I, I could see my family member having had a great experience there. And then even closer to me, my older sister went and my older brother went before I did. And so I, I had context that my three closest girlfriends in a random set of, of occurrences, none of them had, had dads. They were all raised by single moms and they just didn't have that same exposure. And that's a fundamental building block in Breakline as well. Like making sure that we can all see ourselves in folks who are thriving in the tech sector. It's partly from that experience, like seeing that, that very different outcome for four girls, you know, who are all on the same, same intellect, same drive, same ambition. One got the shot. All four of us should have gotten the shot. That's solvable. Um, so I think the context was really, really important. I will say, and I, I know that many breakliners have had this experience too, and, and it's partly coming from a community that is sort of ambivalent about college and about education in general. I was really embarrassed to be a straight A student. I never revealed that I was a straight A student. I never you know, made that part of my sort of external identity. So there was something in me that knew that there was more. And I think that that came from that exposure through my dad, but it was, it was bravery all along the way, I think, to stay true to myself. I didn't, I didn't you know, make that a very public claim, but I was willing to do it internally. And I'm so glad. And I think it's, I think it's an important learning for my kids and for all of our kids, for those of us who've been in that situation. So, but that was the key, Kenny. It was the exposure through my father. Well, and I'm so glad that you shared that because I think as I'm looking at the organization that, that you've spearheaded, that you've created, I think that's something that is emblematic of what Breakline stands for is we're looking at these underserved demographics. We're looking at these populations that have often been overlooked, underserved. And the simple fact that we've created this community of veterans, of women, of people of color for them to see the folks that are going out in industry and being successful, that is huge. So I appreciate you taking the, the, the moment to share that. I also think 
it is so cool to see the impact of a lifetime of remaining true to yourself. And as you talked about, you know, being able to see that, that vision, one of the things that I'd be interested to hear is when you stepped into getting break lawn off the ground, we all know that Silicon Valley, there's not a lot of women, there are not a lot of people of color who are in board positions, who are in CEO positions. So can you share with me a little bit more who are the people who showed up for you early? Who are those people that helped champion your cause and really give you the confidence to get this thing off the ground and get some, get some tailwind behind your vision? You bet. And I love this question. And I'm happy to, happy to share more here because entrepreneurs never forget who shows up first. You know, when something is an idea, there's nothing there. I didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. I just came in with an idea. And so I want to go all the way back to the concept stage. So this was probably... 2015, I think, maybe even earlier. But I sought input from General Jim Mattis. So he was a fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution at the time. And you all know, we teach you to be prepared to have a great conversation with every single person that you come across as part of that interview process. Well, I am eating crow right now because I was not prepared when I met General Mattis. Stanford has this very like informal sort of relaxed vibe to it. And someone, I can't even remember who, said, hey, you should talk to Jim Mattis because I was running a program for veterans at that point. I clearly didn't know who I was talking to, but he was too big hearted to put, put me in my place. And the amazing thing about how that relationship kind of grew over time was that it ended up being, I'm so shy, as you all know, I never would have approached him if I had been fully aware of his stature, but because I didn't know him, I was willing to, or I was able to just be open and, and we struck up a friendship. And so as I was thinking about Breakline, it was still very much a concept. I went and talked to him and I walked over to his office. It was about a five minute walk from mine. He opened the door, he's wearing this cute little like flannel button down shirt and like some acid wash jeans and stuff. He was so adorable. And, and I talked to him about Breakline and he said, Bethany, you're, you're teaching a person to fish. You have to do this. And so he, that moment was so important for me because it was a crisis of confidence for me at that point. Kenny, as you said, like I, I knew myself as a leader at Stanford. I didn't know myself as an entrepreneur, but he saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself in that moment. And I hope that the breakliners who are here today, I hope you've had that moment with, with me or with someone on our team too. I mean, we serve as mirrors for each other. Like take a look at who you are, remember who you are and what you're capable of. That's what he did for me in that moment. So the first person is General Mattis saying, you got to go for this. I started working on it with, you know, with, with his kind of emotional backing. And early on when I was testing the waters, I was still at Stanford and I struck out for about a year. And I struck out because I'd never sold anything before. I knew I needed at least four tech companies to come to the table together to um, have enough of an employment landscape for it to be worth it for our very first breakline candidates, folks like Kim Penson, who's in my screen right here, to make it worth it for Kim to come out and have this experience. And I was just getting no, 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 no. Or even worse, I wasn't hearing anything. It was just, people were just ghosting me. And because I'm so introverted, this was especially painful. And so I almost gave up. And I picked up the phone and I called this person who I just thought the world of, and that was Don Fall. And, and 
Don is so modest. He would never um, allow me to share this story if, if he was listening in, but I called him and I was just so distraught. And I said, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do it. I don't, I don't think this is the right thing. And he said, full stop. I'm coming with you. Let's go. We're going to get this thing off the ground. Don Fall, who at that time, here's who Don Fall is, former Marine Corps officer, went to Google pretty early on, went to Facebook, I think when Facebook had 400 employees, something like that. Then he became the first, essentially the first chief operating officer of Pinterest. And now he's running his own wearable tech company called Athos. So Don, you know, knew the industry way better than I did. But he was busy. He was running, you know, a really fast growing software company himself. He carved out time to drive down. He physically brought me to Andreessen Horowitz to have this meeting. He basically pitched Andreessen Horowitz on Breakline. They said yes in that meeting. That was our first partner. Then Don Fall introduced me to a former Marine Corps colleague of his at PayPal made that introduction, helped me kind of pitch it to that person. PayPal became our second partner. And so he would never, he would never accept this, but the truth is Breakline launched because Don Fall backed me and backed this idea very, very early. I'm further indebted to him because he introduced me to my amazing teammate, Lauren Fall, and his twin brothers, Adam and Ryan, both are Breakline alums. So lots of love for the Fall family. I want to tell a couple of other stories of people who showed up. Bruce Cleveland, I think we have some of our folks at C3.ai here. Bruce Cleveland, who's the chief marketing officer of C3.ai, he introduced me to Dan Streetman. And at the time, Dan Streetman was a senior sales executive at Salesforce. Dan, for whatever reason, decided to come and see me at Stanford. And I remember it was was spring, we were sitting outside on a bench. I was really nervous meeting this person and I described the vision for, for Breakline. By that point, we I could tell him that Andreessen Horowitz and PayPal were on board. 15 minutes later, Dan Streetman says, great, we're in. Like, how can I help? Let's get this thing going. There are two other pieces here. The, the final most important piece was my husband. My husband, like, you know, we all know, I mean, my God, that it's just so can I, important. Can, can, can I just give yes. a clap real quick? Hey, yes. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just, you know, I, when you, when you mentioned Mike, the excitement has taken over. So I just got to pause for a second. For those of you all who were able to join us at the end of last year, we hosted a allyship summit. And as I'm listening to the names that you are talking about, Bethany, as you're talking about the Don Falls, as you're talking about the Jim Masses, I am literally going back to some of those basic principles that we talked about allyship. And as you mentioned, Michael, I just had to pause really quick because this is, this is something that I want to take a quick pause on for a moment, because I think a lot of us have families, a lot of us have spouses. Can you unpack this conversation with Michael a little bit more? Because I want this to be proof positive and the power of truly empowering your partners, your friends, your spouses, the people that are closest to you. And I just, if you can, if you can pull back the curtain on that just a little bit, I would love to hear what Michael said when you came to him like, hey, like, I don't know about this break line thing, but uh, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> I, I will. And let me just explain y'all before I get in there. I broke my leg a couple of days ago. 
So I've got my hospital mug here. So if you see me drinking, that's what the deal is. I'm all like suited up. I've got, all, I've got my, my cast on and everything. So just wanted you to understand why I was picking up that big uh, jug of water. Michael Anderson is the best thing that ever happened to me. He, he really is. I mean, I've just had such a crush on this guy for like 20 years. And um, he, like, it's just a really wonderful relationship. Oh, he's coming in. He's going to be embarrassed. He, he loves me and he also respects me and he wants to see me be, the, be at my best. And, um, and so I, I will say though, that getting his buy-in on this was so important because we bootstrapped Breakline for the first year. And so one of his questions was, so we're giving up a salary <laughs> and we're putting our savings in, you know, so like really making sure that he was on board was, was so important. And, and I have to say, Kenny, even though it was such a big plunge for us, he just could tell that I was going to do it and I needed to do it. And as my husband, as my best friend, he was just a hundred percent behind me. So I just want to give a shout out to the home team, all of the partners, all of the spouses who are there in support. And I, and like I said, I would be remiss if I did not take this opportunity to just highlight the fact that you are starting on this journey with your best friend. And one thing that I always tell folks when I actually made the transition to break line, because this was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I was petrified. But when we sat back and thought about it, and we looked at our family. I talked to Seneca. We looked at our kids. We're back here in Louisville with our family. I think we probably had a very similar conversation. So, you know, what do we have to lose? We've already won. We literally have already won. And to see how that has manifested over the past few years, like kudos to the, kudos to the household over there, because I think it's a beautiful thing. One of the things about entrepreneurship that I'm always interested to hear about is the fear right? The fear of failure. And, you know, maybe it was the moment right before you picked up the phone and called Don Fall. Maybe there was an, another moment where the cash on hand was getting a little low. Was there ever a moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know if this thing is going to pan out. We, we may have not made the best decision. Yeah. I mean, I fail personally just about every day. Like I screw stuff up. I, I miss the mark. I mean, it's just, I think it's just part of being human and trying to do something that hasn't been done before. And, and that's where, you know, having a really tight team, having a great relationship with my spouse, having mentorship and sponsorship is so important. And I've gotten to a point now where I've failed so much that I can just kind of extract the learning from it and walk away. And a great piece of advice that I got from one of my mentors, Andy Ratcliffe. Andy um, co-founded a really famous venture capital firm called Benchmark. And he's now the CEO of a company called Wealthfront. And he said, spend no time on minor things that go wrong. If you are not talking about this 20 years from now, it makes no sense for you to think about it now. Spend all your time doubling down on what's working. And so I, I haven't gotten to the point, thankfully, where I worried about breakline failing. I spend way more time thinking about 
okay, at, we as a team, we as individuals are gonna fail in hopefully minor ways on a regular basis. How do we grow from that and get better, faster, stronger as a result? And that Kenny, I think has fed really strongly into our culture. One thing that I'm, I'm so proud of is this culture that we have, which is very much grounded in the growth mindset. You know, And I think the last thing we think about is shaming somebody for screwing something up. Thank God, because I would be first in line just about every day. We spend no time on that. We spend all of our time on, hey, what can we learn? How can we get better? Where do we take this from here? And this is actually a learning from our veterans, you know, and the after action reports and really being able to dissect that stuff and improve going forward. So that's much more of what I think about with regard to failure. So I think that's an awesome learning and takeaway that you just offered up to the group. And it's not so much about avoiding the failure as it is changing the mindset. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of you all out there may have heard of Carol Dweck, you know, great researcher who, who published work on the growth mindset. I can truly tell you as a member of the Breakline team, that is absolutely core to our, to our vision and to our mission. And I think that absolutely starts from the top. So I thank you for sharing that with the group. There is one last question that I want to ask you very briefly before I turn it over to Sophia. And that is as a fellow parent, you are a wife, you are a mother to four beautiful daughters, you are the CEO of a company. There are many roles, which I'm probably not covering in this moment that you embody. How do you do it? What is it that allows you to navigate these spaces so seamlessly because mm -hmm. what I can tell you as a member of the team is when you are here with us, you are fully present, you are locked in, you are doing what you're doing. And I know 100% just based off stories that I've heard that you are absolutely the same way with your beautiful daughters and as a spouse. So how are you able to balance that great juggling act? Yeah, I'm so glad that you asked this question. I know sometimes people shy away from this question, but I think it's so important. Um, it's so important to not pretend that it's easy, you know, or that it's seamless. It's not seamless. And I, like, I, I kind of have this pe pendulum that swings back and forth between all those various identities, Kenny, that, that you shared and, you know, and feeling various levels of pride and various levels of guilt and various levels of energy around all that stuff. But I'll tell you what I do when I'm at my best in case it's helpful. And Ronnie is going to have a heart attack when I mention this one, because I, this is my philosophy and I did not think it was controversial until I said it publicly. And then clearly it was controversial, but I'm still going to share it here because it's the truth for me. Um, I've never, I've never bought into the concept of balance or having it all. But to me, that feels like a really juvenile thing, you know, like, no, you can't have it all. Like, no, you can't have every piece of candy in this store. You know, it's just complicated. And if you want to live a really full life, as I do, I want to be a mom. I want to be a wife. I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be making some trade-offs here or there. So balance is not what I aspire to. I aspire to sustainability, which means can I keep up this pace for a long, long time? And that is my sort of equilibrium. So that's one, that's my parenting philosophy. That's my professional philosophy for, for me as an individual. And then I'd say, Kenny, from a parenting perspective, especially in the last year, 
Michael and I are not going after perfection. We're keeping the wheels on the bus, you know, and just like, if at the end of the day, all four of those girls are present and accounted for, I'm counting that as a win. Like that yes. is a win for me. And then I do ask myself two questions every day. And I like to ask myself these two questions because it's very clarifying. If I can answer these two in a satisfactory way for me, I'm feeling good. And the first question is, do I feel connected to people that I care about? That connection is at the foundation of performance across our, our lives in every facet. So for me, do I feel connected? And the second one is, am I doing the best that I can do on behalf of my community? I wanna answer those two questions, yes, every single day. And if I have to answer no, then I'm gonna go and look at it. But that way I can kind of stay sane with what I'm really shooting for. I tried to tell y'all we was going to be dropping some knowledge tonight. Nothing but pearls of wisdom and, and insight. So we've got about 20 minutes left. I'm going to turn the floor over to my partner in crime, Sophia. Would you mind fielding a few questions from our audience for us? I would love to. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting all the warm fuzzies from this conversation. So let's keep it rolling. And thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. Please keep populating the chat. We love it. Bethany. Our very first question that we got in is, where did this break line name come from? Ah, I love this question. So <clears throat> my good friend Paige Steinman is a creative genius. She runs her own uh, marketing firm. It's called Veneer. And I asked her for help naming Breakline. And she literally came up with like 2,000 different suggestions. But she had me at Breakline when she gave me the definition, which is it's the point on a track where sprinters can change lanes. And that's what we're doing, of course, right? We're looking for the folks who are performing at the top of their game. They just want to be heading in a slightly different direction. So that's where that came from. Love it. Good. So our whole community is on the same page. And... Bethany, a lot of people are asking questions just surrounding the culture that you have cultivated. And um, a big part of it, and uh, this is, gets to Eric Gonzalez's question, is how do you define this culture? And how do you go about kind of building the team that you have? I love that question so much. I think it's so important. I mean, like many of you at various points in my career, I've worked with some absolutely amazing people. I mentioned some of them and several of the folks I worked with at Stanford ended up investing in Breakline as our seed investors. I've also worked for, with some, you know, some less than ideal characters, people who are selfish or insecure or corrosive. And the weird thing is I'm actually really grateful that I've had that combination because I learned a lot about both what, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and also what I wanted to steer way clear from. And I'll say that the, the first insight for me around culture Kevin Compton, who's, who's one of our investors, he says this all the time. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And his point is, it all has to start with culture in order for you to be successful and to thrive. It has to start with culture, which to me means this is worth being intentional about. It's worth working hard on this. And, and the, the second thing that I think about all the time is that culture is not about one person. It's about the team. It's about the community. It's about this consortium that we've created together with Breakline, with our candidates, with our partners, and, and really making sure that that culture is uplifting for everyone. And then the final thing that I think about a lot, so with, with regard to culture is, 
the like the most disappointing experiences that I've had in my career were times when the consistent messaging to me was be smaller than who you are, do less than what you are capable of, stay in your lane, stay in your box. And I found that that discourse and that style of management so deeply demotivating that I wanted to do exactly the opposite with Breakline. And I think we're succeeding there. And with Breakline, it's how big can you go, right? Like we are off on this audacious adventure together. We are heading straight toward social impact change on a monumental scale. That's what we're going after. We can only achieve that if everyone on this team goes as big as they possibly can. They're as big as they can possibly be. And I think that starts with role modeling from me and it starts with a very deep sense of psychological safety. And it also starts with setting high expectations and then making sure that folks are enabled to achieve them. But those are the, those are the main building blocks that I think about. Absolutely, and I think that that speaks to the reason why we're able to call this a family reunion is because not only do we kind of live out those principles on our team, but in this entire community, everyone just shows up entirely as themselves. And I don't know if y'all know this, but you probably can tell everyone on the Breakline team can show up very authentically, whether that is, you know, as outrageous as they are or what have you. I know that I am tolerated at times, but we have a blast. We laugh every single day, and that has just honestly, you know, that changes the way that you relate to your work and to your teammates. And so we're definitely grateful for that all the time. Bethany, there's a lot of questions coming in surrounding just kind of like this culture. And Marlon asked of us, I think he said, Bethany, you have a Zoom full of lives that you and the Breakline team have deeply impacted. Through that lens, what does this legacy mean to you? You know, Marlon, and you and I have had talks about this you and everyone else on the screen today, you're a hero to me. And so, you know, anything that, that you all have received from me, received from Breakline, we are clear-eyed that we receive that back tenfold. And Marlon's a great example of that. Marlon, what it means to me is intergenerational impact. So my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of, of feedback from a Breakliner ever was actually in the first Breakline class. And he wrote a card to me and he said in that card, you've changed my life and the lives of my children. And that is what Breakline can make happen. And this is so important right now. If we think about one thing that makes the United States so incredibly special, it's the American dream, right? The promise that your children if they work hard and they're ambitious and they're driven and they go for it, they should wind up in, in a more secure place than you were, in a better place than you were. That's always been the contract. That contract is at risk today. There is a, an economist at Stanford, his name is Raj Shetty. I encourage all of you to check out his work. He looks at the economics of inequality in the United States and he sums this up in one sentence, which is a young child today has a better chance of achieving the American dream in Canada than they do in the United States. I want us to have that competitive advantage back. I'm gonna do my part to make that possible. I know our whole team will do our parts to make that possible. And it is possible, it is solvable. So when I think about our legacy, Marlon, that's what it is to me. It's really intergenerational impact and making sure that we build that engine and build it and build it and build it. I love that that is our foundation. And speaking of that, 
that's where we are now. But where are we going? There are tons of questions in the chat. Where are we going to be in five years, in 10 years? And how has sort of the vision for Breakline adjusted to, to meet our new goals? Yeah, I love this question. And it's sort of a version of, you know, what does winning look like? And I know Zane, in particular, you had that question too. And for me, winning looks like our entire team, we work ourselves out of a job. You know, if Breakland does not need to exist 10 years from now, 20 years from now, two thumbs up for me. I'm, I'm happy to step out of the way. So we will, we right now, the way that we think about winning is when the tech sector, when that workforce reflects American society at large. That's what winning looks like to me. But I also think about winning in terms of all of Breakline's stakeholders. I want our Breakline alums to win. I want to get as close to a guarantee of employment with a company that you're excited about, a role that you're excited about as possible. And so that's what winning looks like there. I want our partners to win. Our, the, the companies that we work with are so amazing and they're working so hard to develop diverse workforces that fully reflect who we are as a nation. I want them to achieve that goal. I want our investors to win. I mean, our investors backed us truly when there was almost nothing there. They backed us again right when we could see that COVID was turning into a steaming hot sandwich. That's when they showed up to help out. So I want them to win. And, and I, I think about our team all the time. I always wanted to have a career in social impact, but I couldn't afford it. And, and so I had to I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have, I didn't have any wiggle room with my own financial resources early in my career. So I had to make a trade-off for a much more conventional, you know, first 10 years. And I don't want our team to have to make that trade-off. I want our team to win because we are creating social impact. And I want them to win because if we create value for our breakliners and value for our partners, we should be building value for ourselves as well. And so, so that's how I think about that. So then what, what winning looks like for us. That was to me such a classic Bethany answer because you are our CEO, you are our founder, you helped bring all these people together. And when we talk about winning, you talk about everyone else around you. You talk about the team, you talk about the alums, you talk about our partners. So that really just speaks to you know your brand of leadership and thank you for living that out every day. And a question related to that, that Ari posed was, my question is about how Breakline selects its partners. So what do you look for in these partners knowing that they are gonna play a role in the lives that you are changing? Yeah. So the first thing that I look for is authenticity with regard to the work that we're doing. If you want a post on LinkedIn, if you want a t-shirt, if you want a coffee mug, go somewhere else. That's not what we're doing. If you want to hire top talent from underselected backgrounds who will absolutely drive and up-level the performance of your company, then come work with Breakline. That's what we're here to help with. And we've got a track record a mile long for that. So I wanna see commitment to, to that fundamental purpose. And if I don't see it, we will walk away. That's the most important thing. Are we aligned on, on the purpose here? The second thing though is I, I'm so fortunate at this point in my life. I've, for the first time, I've got total alignment on my skill set, my experience, my interests. And I look in the mirror and I'm just proud. I am totally proud of what I see 
and I want to continue feeling proud. And so we have had moments where we've been approached by companies in spaces or categories that I wasn't comfortable with and we weren't comfortable with and we turned those down. And that's kind of the beauty of building your own company and laying out your own values and staying true to those values. So that's, those are the most important things I think about. Like, are you in it to win it with regard to this particular objective in a very real sense? And then would I feel proud? Do I want to tell my daughters about this? Do I want this on the front page of the New York Times? If the answer is yes, let's go for it. Love it. Another piece of this is that I think everyone on this call has benefited from your warmth, from your authenticity. But part of that is having your own company, you have to have really tough conversations. So Mike wants to ask one question. How do you approach those difficult conversations? Oh my gosh. There are a couple of things here. And Andy Rockliffe, I've mentioned him a couple of times just because of the nature of these, these questions he's coming up. But let me tell you one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had in my career. And it was when I was working with Andy Rockliffe. I had just joined Stanford. I was writing a case with Andy Rockliffe. I had never done it before, but I thought it was pretty good. And I emailed him and he said, he emailed me back a little while later. He's like, can you come see me? And I went to see him. He was in his office at, um, at Benchmark. So I sit down and Andy says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase him. He would say it was not quite like this, but this is how I internalized it this is garbage. This is like not at all what I was expecting from you. And I was mortified. I mean, part of being a high performing person is you don't hear that stuff that often, right? Cause you're nailing it every time. I missed the mark by a mile. And, and he gave me a ton of feedback. I internalized the feedback, went, went back around, ended up writing the case, you know and getting it into great shape. The next time I wrote a case for Andy Ratcliffe he corrected, I think a period on it. And we, Andy and I have talked about that a lot. He was direct with me and he set high expectations for me. And he communicated that he believed that I could reach those expectations. That is the hallmark of my communication style with our team now. It is a sign of respect for someone to say, I know you, I see you and you can do better. And so that's how I approach difficult conversations. Another mentor of mine, Irv Grossbeck, he, it, with regard to difficult conversations, he said, don't bury the lead, like get straight to it. So literally sitting down, it should not be mysterious what your perspective is, you know, what your feedback is, sit down and get straight to the point. And that allows other folks to be direct with you too. I will say so that I do couple this very direct style with, with a lot of warmth. Most of you know, I'm of Italian descent. I'm very proud of that, I'm very spicy, very emotional. And I think that's, that's an advantage here, right? Because it's part of feeling safe. Like knowing that you are cared for and valued is part of feeling safe in a relationship with anyone. I care for and value every single person on this call. And, and so I feel really comfortable being direct because I owe that to you as my friend, as my community member, as my family member. Awesome. Yeah. And I definitely, at least as a member of this team and most certainly to everyone in this community have felt that warmth and benefited from it. So thank you. And then we have had a lot of questions, especially this, this one's pretty good from Jeremy. So was the expansions part of the original plan or did it evolve as you saw the need? So we started with veterans, we've added Mavens, Apex and, and yeah. So, you know, what was the evolution process? Mm -hmm. Okay. Here we go. So Jeremy Regal, yes. So when, when we started Breakline, we had a vision for a product roadmap. And that vision was, we'll start with veterans. 
And then over time, assuming our approach worked, assuming our model of education worked, we would add services and programs for three other communities, women, people of color, and people with disabilities. So we are three quarters of the way through that original product roadmap. We chose those communities from the outset because when we look at the diversity data within the tech sector in particular, we can all see it. It's been public for the last five years. Very little has changed. And the crux of the matter is really with these four communities. So our team at Breakline, we think, hey, if we're gonna, if we're gonna add value, let's start here. If we can make a dent in this very complicated challenge, let's start here where the need is greatest. And so that was the idea behind starting with those four, but it was always part of the original vision. Yes, there was only, the only question was, when is the right time? Awesome. And I will ask this last question and then I will turn it back over to Kenny. But the people want to know, Bethany, how do you stay so sharp? What are you reading? What are you thinking about? What types of conversations are keeping you intellectually there? This is, a, this is a good question. David Walsh is the only other person who has interviewed me and he, it was a sneak attack on the last day. Kim Benson is nodding because she remembers. It was a sneak attack on the last day of the very first Breakline program in 2016. We were celebrating in my backyard and he pulled up a chair and said, hey, let's have a conversation. So how do I keep myself sharp? I, I do read a lot, but I end up falling asleep between like two to five pages every night. The book I'm currently reading is actually written by a Harvard professor. Her name is Amy Cuddy. You all should have received, I think maybe you saw it in a post or we might've emailed you about it. Amy Cuddy, I'm gonna interview her in a couple of weeks. Um, she does a lot of work around presence and how we can kind of use our body and our physicality to our advantage in a bunch of different scenarios. So I'm reading her book right now. Amy Cuddy is my neighbor right now. And we've gotten to be very, very close friends. So it's really interesting to have talked with her and to have heard about these scenarios, but then also to kind of read her work as well. I also, every single day, I at least check out the headlines across four publications. And I choose four because I want to make sure I'm, I'm trying to get a holistic perspective on voices in our country. So I look at the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post and Fox News. And every single day I, I, you know, I engage in those issues. But I also make sure that I carve out a couple of hours every week, which I, I view as like professional development for me. And I might spend that time researching an issue. I might spend that time calling a mentor or a sponsor of mine, but really just trying to think deeply about the, the different facets of Breakline that, that matter most to me. So thank you for, for saying that I'm sharp. I'm really sleepy a lot of the time. <laughs> that's, how I use, that's how I use the time that I have. Gabe, I see your question about my ski accident. And I wanna say I was doing something cool. I wanna say I was like doing a backflip off of a jump or something. No people, I was farting around on a heavy powder day and I just was not paying attention, <laughs> literally face planted. And I almost got back up. I was like, oh, it hurts a little bit, but I could probably ski down. No, nope, I broke my leg. So anyway, thank you, Janelle. I am already on the mend, so. But I wasn't gonna miss this conversation no matter what. And before we close, I just want you all to know that you are my heroes. I mean, this is, so moving for me to see so many wonderful people here. And I'll say that 
when I really think about breakline, when I really boil it down, what it is is diversity plus performance. That's breakline. We are looking for superstars across the spectrum from underselected backgrounds. And I see that in all of you, and it's so incredibly inspiring. And I'm the winner in all of this because I get the benefit of your presence in, in my life and in, in the lives of this community. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm present in that gratitude every day. Thank you so much for giving us a reason to do this work and for giving us an opportunity to do this work. I've never been happier in my whole life. And so I just want you to, to be aware of that, how much you mean to me. And if I haven't gotten to your question, I will email you a response directly so, so that we can close the loop on that as well. Kenny, last thoughts from you? Absolutely. First and foremost, Bethany, I just want to say thank you. Two last things I want to say is just to echo Bethany's words, we are so thankful for you all for taking the time to join us this evening. One thing that I always share with our breakliners is that the power of your network, the power of your relationships is a direct reflection of the energy, time, and love that you invest into them. So for you all to come out on a weeknight, to spend the time with us here at Breakline, to hear Bethany's story is emblematic of the type of people that this community is built around. And I am so proud to be a member of this Breakline family. So thank you all for joining us this evening. And the last thing that I wanted to say, because I, it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't codify a few of the reflections that I took away from this evening's conversation. And I just want to start by the importance of role modeling, because as someone who's been on this Breakline team for uh, a little bit of time now, what I will tell you is that everything that Bethany just shared with you, she is living it, right? It is not one of those things where it's a bumper sticker or there's just nice motivational phrase. She is, she is not only talking the talk, she is walking the walk every single day. And I feel blessed to be a member of this team. So Bethany, thank you for role modeling and sharing that wisdom with our community. The other thing that, I, that this reminds me is this is really a story of the pursuit of happiness. You had a decision to make. You were on the path to traditional success. You know, you worked at McKinsey, you were there at Stanford, but in your core and in your gut, you knew that you longed for something different. And for everyone who is listening right now, anyone who may listen to this podcast, if, if you're in that position where in your core, you feel that there's a misalignment I hope that you, when you hear Bethany's story, feel empowered to go out and pursue your own happiness because that's what I'm taking away from this story. Empathy. There are so many huge challenges in this world that need to be solved. Bethany just happened to look at higher education and said, you know what, there's something I can do about that. But there are so many macro level challenges, existential challenges that we face that require your attention. And with a little bit of empathy, so much of a difference and so much of an impact can be made. Courage, the courage to step out on faith and follow your dreams. It's not going to be easy, but it takes courage and it, the courage will be rewarded. And the last thing that I, I promise I'll be off my soapbox here is the conviction to stay the course the conviction to stay the course. The road 
will not always be easily traveled. But what I will tell you is that if you have the courage, if you have the audacity of hope, as some would say, you too can persevere. You too can overcome. And you too, as an individual, just like Bethany Coates, she is one of the most humble people I have ever met. But Bethany, I hope as you look across this Zoom call, as you look at the organization that was created from your vision, that you sleep a little bit easier at night knowing the impact that a single person can make. Because Breakline is the house that Bethany built. It started with a seed that was planted in your mind and the indomitable spirit that you showed in pursuing your dreams and your vision. So on behalf of the Breakline team, on behalf of the entire Breakline community, heck, on, the, on behalf of humanity, man, thank you, ma'am, for being awesome. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights with this amazing family. And folks, if you liked what you heard tonight, I'm telling y'all, man, like, follow, and subscribe to the Breakline Arena because I'm telling you, man, there is so much knowledge and wisdom that's gonna be dropped and shared amongst this community. So we love you all. We thank you so much for your time. We wish you all Godspeed. And we absolutely cannot wait until the next time we're able to do this again. This is Kenny Vaughn, the director of Breakline Apex, signing out. We will see you all on the high ground. Good night, folks.